I mentioned on Sunday that I had the wonderful privilege on uh, Friday uh, of being with Dr. Ed Nelson for several hours. Uh, the family had called me about three weeks ago and said, we believe he's failing. We want you to come and spend, be able to spend time. And also in my communications, that would help them with their book also. And, and so uh, I decided to time it out so I could be with the Colorado uh, Quiz Tournament and be with the young people. I had never been out there for that. And they told me that when I decided that later time, they were convinced that I wouldn't get to see him. And, um, and two, two weeks ago, he was in the hospital over and over. But he rallied, and so he was sharp as a tack, very weak uh, on uh, Friday. And it was a special joy. He's 96 years old. And uh, as I began to recount his life, and we were talking about all the different aspects, uh, this was a man that had uh, given up a fortune as a young man uh, to go into the ministry. Uh, he, was, uh, he owned a huge ranch, had uh, a massive amount of sheep and cattle, and was very wealthy. He was worth millions even back then. And he went to college. He still had all of that, and it really bothered him in college. All these guys would be down on their faces pleading for uh, funds for the next semester. Anybody relate to that? Okay, well, it's been happening for years. And uh, so he decided that he needed to learn to walk by faith, so he sold everything and gave it to missions. So he had nothing. So he had to start uh, from scratch, uh, praying in and working hard uh, to make it through college. That's the kind of man he was. He had a conscience to do right. That was an amazing thing. My father, I went to school with him. He was a little bit older than my father, uh, but they were good friends, and he was a fervent uh, uh, man even back then. Uh, he got a prayer meeting going for missions. He had a Russian uh, missionary there, and I mean a Russian who uh, was real fervent. And they got to praying, and um, man, I mean, it got to going. It was one of those uh, really almost wild prayer meetings, and so Dr. Nelson slipped out, <laughs> and uh, the other fellow did. They had something they had to do, and uh, so... Some of the leadership came running over all this uh, huge uh, shouting and all this uh, carrying on that was going on, and, and uh, Dr. Nelson was long gone by that time. He was quite a character. But anyway, my dad remembers that. He, he laughs about it every time I uh, think. But that's just the kind of man he was. He was a tremendous uh, love of the Lord. He was headed to Japan to follow MacArthur's call for missionaries in Japan after the war. And God stopped him. He had a severe kidney disease, and he was uh, supposed to live uh, for just a few months. And so he thought, well, if I can't go to the field. In fact, he was all the way to the dock to leave. And back then, it was on a ship, and they wouldn't let him because uh, of uh, his illness. And so he uh, decided, well, I've got six months to live. I'm just going to have revival campaigns. That's what I'll do. He, had to, he was a gift of the evangelist. And so he uh, uh, started... Uh, having revival campaigns, and guess what he had? Revival. I mean, you know, as a dead man speaking life to people, and um, he came to my father's church, and the church doubled during that time. They had a massive revival. And there are stories in Indiana and other places where God mightily worked. Well, obviously, six months turned into 96-year age, and he laughed about that. He said, yeah, yeah that was, that's been a long six months, he said. Um, it's been good. Uh, by the way, the, the healthiest thing you can do is be in the will of God. 
it's God that determines when you go. And so uh, when you're in the will of God, you're just totally in His hands. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, and that, I think it's a good example of that. Well, then he became a church planner and uh, started 20-some churches in Colorado. Uh, you've heard the story of the one church that he tried to get going in Dillon and the people ran him out of town. Uh, and uh, so he got up on the mountain and cursed Dillon. And sure enough, in the next year, uh, they decided to put a reservoir there, and so they condemned Dillon. And so the town of Dillon that he knew is now under the Dillon Reservoir there in Colorado. You see that when you go across the state on the uh, expressway there. And uh, so, I mean, he believed that God would work. And, and then he became uh, pastor of the South Sheridan Baptist Church. They met in uh, uh, chicken coop Quonset huts. Uh, it was uh, just, it was really bad. And, um, and that church became a mighty church, a couple thousand people. And uh, God mightily used him there. He was also a leader in the separatist movement. My father and, I, and him, the Conservative Baptist Association. And he really was one of the fathers of the independent Baptist movement. And we recounted a lot of that. And, and it's just amazing. You go through it. He started Baptist World Mission. And uh, he was the key man in starting that. And a great uh, uh, promoter of missions. Really loved the Russians and did a lot of work in Russia. And, uh, and then he retired from South Sheridan and went into revival work, and God mightily used him, but he couldn't stand being retired. So in his late 70s, he started a church in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, Bethel Baptist Church down there. We've had students from Bethel Baptist Church here. And, uh, and anyway, that's just the kind of man he was. The reason I mention his testimony uh, partially is because it leads into this message today. And that is that... That man, uh, one of the things that characterized him was a love for people and a genuine concern. He was really without guile. He was like Nathaniel. I mean, he was a man of the highest conscience. He would, he would not let anything go. The one thing you knew about him was he was walking with God. It was real. He was just, I mean, you, you talk a picture of righteousness. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but, boy, you didn't see much imperfection. I mean, he was a man that that lived righteously, and as a result, out of that came a uh, genuine concern for others. I remember as just an elementary boy, I would see him with, when I traveled with my dad, and uh, he would write me letters, ask me how I was doing, he would send me things, you know, just a kid. And as a teenager, he'd write me, telling me he was praying for me, and you know, these long hard copy, not email letters, I know it's hard to imagine, uh, with stamps on the outside, you know, those kind of letters. And uh, I'd get those letters. And then um, uh, during college, he was constantly encouraging me all the way through the ministry. He would do things, and I would, he'd bring me out there. And uh, the one thing I never doubted was the concern and care of Dr. Ed Nelson for me personally. And when I think about it, any person that I knew that genuinely knew the holiness of God because by the grace of God, not their own, but by the grace of God, they were living a victorious life. I was always secure in my relationship with those godly people. Certainly my parents, my grandmother, others that I knew that were godly, you just had that absolute security. Well, that leads into the message. You remember a few weeks ago, we spoke on the immutability of God. You can count on the fact that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And based upon that, and based upon the fact that He is a perfectly holy God, uh, we can know that He loves us. 
You can be absolutely secure in his love. And honestly, that ought to be life-changing for us. Now, let me just take a quick uh, moment here for a little theology, because sometimes our practical understanding of truths needs to be really firmly grounded in a biblical perspective of some aspects of theology. The holiness of God is why we can count on the fact that He loves us and that He will always love us. Hodge says, the holiness of God is not to be conceived of as one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of His consummate perfection and total glory. It is His infinite moral perfection crowning His infinite intelligence and power. Uh, the word holy means apart, separate. He's separate from all that is, that is weak, infinite, human, sinful, uh, that which is not deity. I mean, he is the only God. Thesen says, by the holiness of God, we mean that he is absolutely separate from and exalted above all his cre creatures and that he is equally separate from moral sin and evil. But then I want you to note this quote. In the first sense, Thiessen says, His holiness is not really an attribute that is coordinate with the other attributes, but it is rather coextensive with them all. It denotes the perfection of God in all that He is. It occupies the foremost rank among the attributes of God. So in other words, God's love for me comes out of His holiness. And says, many see holiness as the foremost attribute of all, and I totally agree with that, because holiness pervades all the other attributes of God and is consistent with all He is and does. So I just wanted to say that as background, because honestly, there may be some here that really struggle with the security of God's love for you, but I'll guarantee, even if you don't struggle with it much, you're going to have groups of people you work with that the majority of them struggle with it because they have not had security in relationships. They've come from broken backgrounds of their homes. They have been dealt with very arbitrarily. Uh, they have suffered. Many have been abused. We're dealing with 60 plus percent of people that you rub shoulders with out in the world who have been physically and sexually abused. I mean, you're dealing with a very real broken culture. And so you've got to understand, and I've got to understand the love of God so that we can articulate it with power and with personal understanding and conviction to people that really need to hear that. Every time I'll get to a group of newer folks or folks that uh, haven't had a lot of background and I, and I preach on the love of God, I'm telling you, they're on the edge of their seats because it meets a need in their soul that is amazing. But you know, everybody needs to get a hold of this and because uh, Satan's going to do everything he can to cause you to question the love of God in your life. So let's just answer the question, what is love? Let me go back to Thiessen, the, uh, the writer there, the theologian. He says, by the love of God, we mean that perfection of the divine nature by which He is eternally moved to communicate Himself. In other words, He is willing to give of His perfect self to us. He's willing to sacrifice of Himself. It is, however, not a mere emotional impulse, but a rational and voluntary affection having its ground in truth and holiness and its exercise in free choice. So God, His very nature, 
as uh, the person that he is and coming out of his holiness means that he is not about himself. He is genuinely wanting to communicate himself and he created us in his image and he makes the willful decision to meet our needs. It's the very nature of God. 1 John 4, 8, we know this verse. He that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, there is no definite article before love, and that uh, seems to indicate then that it is the very, uh, that's the very nature. He is love. Now, there is a definite article before God, the God. The particular God is love. It's, you can't just switch it around, love is God. And there are philosophies that want to tell you that love is God. That's, that is not true. And then the word that is used for God's love, as you well know, is the word agape. And, and the meaning denotes a reasoned out love, and says this, rather than an emotionally based love, but not void of emotion. One that loves the object irrespective of the worth of the object, even though the love may not be reciprocated. Now, I want you to get that. That's a big help. It's a big help to understand God's love for us and the love that we ought to have for others. It is not based on emotion, and, but it's not void of emotion. I mean, God uh, shed tears, Jesus did, when he was here on this earth. One that loves the object irrespective of the worth of the object, and even when the love is not reciprocated. It's a decision of the powerful will of an immutable God. And when God says He loves you, He means it. That is as solid as creation, that, is as, uh, that He is the Creator, and as solid as any other attribute of God. Now, let's answer another question. To whom is God's love manifested? Well, first and foremost, from eternity passed on among the, uh, the Godhead. There is the powerful love of the Godhead for each person within the Godhead. Christ loves the Father. John 14, 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. And so Christ loves the Father over and over. You, you sense that in His teachings. And then the Father loves the Son. Matthew 3.17, and lo, a voice from heaven when he was being baptized, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then in the great high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou hast lovest me from the foundation of the world. So... In the perfect holiness and perfections of God, there is an absolute perfect unity of love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now, that's, that's pretty powerful. Now, the exciting thing about that is we're part of that whole thing. Um, to answer the question, to whom is God's love manifested? Well, believers are special objects of God's love. John 16, 27, for the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that I have come out of, from God. Those that believe have a unique, special love because we have become the children of God and we are in Christ 
And as Christ, as the Father loves Christ, he loves us. Now, is Christ secure in the love of the Father? Well, obviously. You should be as much secure in the love of the Father as Jesus. This whole identity theme, we are in Christ. And so, as the Father loves Christ, he loves you. That's why you have Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Romans 8.39, a few verses later, nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there are reasons why we question that. Number one, people that have been very influential in your life may have had conditional love for you and you couldn't measure up. And so you put onto God that kind of, uh, of uh, situation. So you really wonder, you know, I've sort of blown it today. I don't know if God loves me. Now, you know better than that theologically, but it's very easy for that to, to happen. And, um, and, of course, any time you have unconfessed sin and you're walking in the flesh, you are not experiencing a relationship with God. And the longer you do not experience spiritually a oneness with God, the more Satan is able to cause you to doubt that he loves you. And that's really the very subtle thing. As, as Satan questioned God with Eve, he questioned that God really wanted the best to her, for her because he withheld the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he didn't want her to have the best. Now think about it. Any teenager that thinks living for God is second class and that living for God is just not the best, what, what is that questioning? That God really loves them. That God wants the best. And I, I tell you what, if you're struggling with fully surrendering to God, you've got that problem. You theologically are in trouble. You do not believe that God really wants the best for you and loves you. You have actually fallen for what Eve fell for, hath God said. And you're questioning the word of God. The God of this world has caused you to think that fulfillment of the flesh is what life is about, and therefore... Uh, uh, totally yielding to the Lord, you are going to miss out on what other people have. Now, folks, that's, that is a deadly perspective. Life doesn't begin until spiritual life is in charge. Most of you have tasted that. Maybe some of you haven't. Uh, so it's very important that you truly believe that. A father was tucking his six-year-old son in for the night, and the father asked him, Son, when does daddy love you the most? When you've been fighting with your sister and getting into a lot of trouble? Or when you've been really helpful to mommy and real nice to everybody? And son, son thought long and hard. That's a very deep philosophical question, you know. Then his eyes lit up and he said, both times. Right, the father said. And do you know why? And with real confidence, the little guy said, because I'm your special guy. That was his pet name for his son, and uh, he was daddy's special guy. Well, I got, a, I got real good news for you. 
you're God's special person. You really are. And even when you've been bad, and Pastor Swanson's not the happiest at the moment, or Mrs. Gilmore is getting a headache because of you, uh, believe it or not, by the way, they still love you too, right, Brother Swanson? Okay, good. That was a quick, good response. All right. And that's why, by the way, pray that Brother Swanson walks with God, because he'll love you regardless, okay? He may, he may get you, but he'll still love you anyway. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but I'm telling you, folks, God always loves you. And so Satan gets you to sin, then he comes along and says, you, you, you've blown it. You've blown it. And not only, and I've already alluded to this, are we secure in his love, we're in the very midst of his love. I love the high priestly prayer of Christ in John 17, verse 23. I in them, and thou in me, praying to the Father, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. In other words, I'm in them, and thou art in me. In other words, right now you are in a oneness with the Trinity. You are in the very midst of the relationship of the Father and the Son. Then he goes on to say in verse 26, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Now I want you to get this. As much as the Father loves the Son, He loves you. That's powerful. I mean, that love is perfect. It's immense. It is absolutely beyond human description. And Christ is in you. And you are identified with Him. Jesus died for you. And so the Father loves you with the same quality of love that He loves the Son. Folks, that's shouting ground. Now let's get rid of this old me business and nobody loves me. Now, what was that? Uh, there was, oh, I'll, anyway, I won't go into that. Uh, that's too far back. There was a, a commercial, nobody loves me, but you would not remember that. Probably your dad wouldn't remember it. So anyway, um, but we can get that kind of attitude. And, uh, but you're in the midst of his love. You're right in the middle of the relationship. As the father and the son love one another, you're right in the middle of it, and God's wanting the best for you. I mean, who can be against you? Nobody can. You're the special object of God's love. Man, that's security. And we can know and experience that love. Why don't you turn to Ephesians 3, that wonderful passage there that marks the greatness of what he does for the church, but for us individually it's a wonderful truth. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, so this is the work of the Spirit of God in us, that Christ may dwell, abide, remain in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, may be able to experience, may be able to fully take it in with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God which passeth knowledge that ye may, might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. God wants us to experience that love, not to just analytically write it down on a test. Yes, I am loved 
by the Father as much as he loves the Son. But to have those moments where you experience it. Now, we always warn against experience, which we should. Sometimes we look for subjective experience when we should be just based faith upon God's Word. But you know, when you experience the love of God, you're never the same. I always say when people meet Jesus and His love, they can't be the same. Dwight L. Moody in New York was never the same. He almost had to ask God to stay His hand because the love of God was just about to kill him. <laughs> it was just so powerful. I'm sure each one of you have had those moments where you're very aware of the love of Christ. And I've had some very sacred moments where it is so real. But God wants us to live that way, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Now, I do want to mention that God does love the lost world. Now, it's a special love that we have because of our salvation, that we get the fullness of the love of the Father. But we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this was a startling truth to Nicodemus in his narrow exclusivism. God loves the whole world. Romans 5.8, we quote this when we're trying to lead people to Christ, but God commendeth His what? Love toward us. That while, uh, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it is wonderful to see the love of God for the lost world. Two missionaries went to a village in Korea years ago, and I've read this account, in which the gospel had never been preached. It was noised abroad that they had come, and practically the whole population from that area came and gathered. The interest of the people was so great that the meeting continued until a very late hour. Finally, the missionaries, who were just dog-tired, um, closed the meeting and um, were shown to an adjoining room for the night. Uh, and, uh, but the people didn't go away. They could hear the murmuring of voices, and it kept the missionaries from sleeping. About 2 o'clock in the morning, one of them went back to the people and said, Why don't you go home and sleep? It's very late, and we're very tired. And then the headman of the village answered in substance, How can we sleep? You have told us that the supreme power is not an evil spirit trying to injure us, but a loving God who gave His only Son for our salvation. And that if we turn away from our sins and trust Him, we may have deliverance from fear, guidance with our perplexities, comfort in our sorrows. How can we sleep after a message like this? You know what happened? Those missionaries all of a sudden got a new surge of adrenaline. And so they just started right there with those hundreds of people and told them again about Jesus. And there was a mighty move of God. God swept over them with his love. First John 2, 4, who will have all men be saved? He loves them. Now, we could take some time. I'm going to just quickly give this. How has love been revealed? clearly through the cross. If ever anybody says anything about the love of God, just point him back to the cross. I mean, the love of God is fully demonstrated by Christ humbling himself, becoming one of us, and going through all that he, um, that he has done. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 3, 16 Hereby perceive we the love of God. Why? Because He laid His life down for us. And He wants us all to be saved. And He wants to care for us. So much could be said about this.
But I want to finish here today with answering the question, what should his love mean to us? People who are experiencing the love of God have no trouble living zealously for the Lord. If we don't live for the Lord, we're questioning his love for us. We're not living in his love. We are buying the line of Satan. We are letting the flesh control. Uh, A person like Paul who was saved out of uh, so much, uh, he was just overwhelmed by the love of God, which meant that it was no problem for him to just totally give of himself uh, to to serve God, whatever uh, that that could occur. 2 Corinthians 4.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Let me just say, young people, halfway serving God just doesn't work. You know, it's all right to be radical for Christ. I'd sure like to have to try to contain you all because you so love the Lord, you are so zealous, we've got to keep the lid on and make sure you're not getting in the flesh. I'd love to have that problem. At times we do. And uh, we try to manage that, but I'm telling you, uh, that's the way it ought to be. I've been with people that just got saved. They just can't do enough for the Lord. I mean, they're just overwhelmed. I mean, how good he is. So the love of Christ and the reality of what we have, just ought to, it ought to motivate us. And the key of that is that we should stay in his love. Jude 121 is so key. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, folks, the hour with God, other times, they're all designed to not just do a duty. They are designed for the Holy Spirit to open you back up to the love of God. Honestly, I don't care how burdened down you are, how tired you may be, some of the hard times of life, and there are hard times of life, you spend an extended time with God and let the Spirit of God work. And that's why you need to cry out and ask the Spirit of God for His grace. You're going to come out of that time knowing you're loved. It's just, I mean, it's just overwhelming. In fact, the harder it is, the more precious those times are. For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I can come boldly then to the throne of grace. I'm invited to. And I, I tell you, there are just times when you take the time, and again, I'm careful about experience, but man, there is a genuine spiritual reality when all of a sudden the love of Christ, the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit, as Ephesians 3 says, just makes it real. When was the last time you've reveled in the love of God? When was the last time you just realized how good he was? You remember those that last time? Hopefully it's not been too long. You know, honestly, this morning you ought to be able to give a, give a uh, testimony. Well, you know, the Lord touched my heart this morning. He, he loves me. I'm okay. You know, you're okay if you've met with God. I don't care what's going on. You're okay. The reason we're not okay is we're not meeting with Him. We're not thinking about how much He cares about us. And, um, and then going along with this, we should sacrificially love others. 1 John 4, 16, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. In other words, we should have it hereby. We perceive the love of God 
because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I've mentioned about George Mincic, the old converted gangster who was uh, a lieutenant to Al Capone back in those days in Cicero in Chicago, Illinois. He had been involved in an awful, awful um, uh, white slave trafficking um, and heroin and uh, he had been part of murdering a number of people. It was just bad, just bad. And he got gloriously saved. It's quite a story. I don't have time to give that. And uh, God began to really work in his heart. And he, uh, uh, man, he was a big old tough-looking dude, but God had melted his heart, and he could not get over that God could save a heroin addict that had done so many things. The governor of Illinois pardoned him, and not only pardoned him, but gave him a open invitation to any Illinois state prison across the state. Any time of the day or night, he could go in, and the guards knew that the, he had a right to talk to anybody, any place, any time. That's how powerful his testimony was. I worked at a little grill at 63rd and Kedzie in Chicago, and uh, sometimes uh, I would be there for the I'd be there the all night shift, or I'd come in early for my day shift, and uh, I'd come in. I'm I'm half awake at 6:30 in the morning. You know, I'm getting ready to start my seven o'clock shift. I'm sitting on, at the counter getting something quick to eat, and uh, all of a sudden, Brother Mincy could walk in. He would take two stools. <laughs> He'd sit down next to me, and he put his arm around me. The first thing he said, I love you, brother. How you doing? You ready to preach? You getting ready to serve the Lord? And he was just really good about that. And, uh, and then he said, you can't believe it. This morning, five men came to Christ. And God's working, and tears had come down his eyes. Why did he do that? Because he still hadn't got over that he was saved. He wanted everybody else. He had 25 men in the ministry by the time he died that were saved in the prisons. He just couldn't get over the love of God. It affected me greatly, and I'm very thankful for him. And so we should have that kind of love. And then this is a good practical final thought. If you really know he loves you, then you're going to accept his dealing with you. For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth. You see, as a child, you have no problem accepting discipline from a parent that consistently loves you. I never got mad at my parents. I knew I deserved it. And maybe a couple of times they got it wrong, but that made up for the many times they missed it. You know, I figured it was all fair. And uh, they, had the, they had a rule of thumb that... Um, that if they couldn't figure out who it was, and it was all of us were together, I was the oldest, so I got it. You know, so it, it worked out okay because probably I had something to do with what went on. So uh, that helped me keep the peace uh, in the home. So, uh, but anyway, but I never got frustrated with that, and um, I knew the Lord loved me, and uh, and so uh, uh, I was thankful for that, my friends. God's love for you is he's not going to let you get away. You know, you look at the world, they get away with sin. You can look at other Christians and they get away with sin. You can't get away with anything. Ever notice that? I'm amazed how we get the goods on you all. You know, something happens and uh, how did we find that out? Well, that's just God's goodness. He loves you. He, you know, it's a wonderful thing. He'll deal with you. 
Sometimes you'll have issues in your life. He does not want you to wreck your life. He, what he does in your life, even the pressures of life, whom the Lord loveth, he is training you. That's the whole idea. And so you don't get upset with that. You embrace it. And that's so important. Because if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. A little boy pulled out the... Uh, put out, pulled out of the cupboard the plastic bags that his mother saved. And uh, he would she would allow him to spread them around the kitchen floor. He'd play, it'd be a playing service for his toy cars and other things. And then he was to collect the bags and put them back up. And he normally did that. But one day his mother found the bags all over the kitchen and the boy in the living room where his father was playing the piano. When she told her son to pick up the bags, there was a short silence. Then a small voice says, but I want to sing Jesus Loves Me. <laughs> His father took the opportunity to point out it's no good singing God's praise while you're being disobedient. And that's exactly what it is. God wants you to be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And let me just conclude this way. You just need to love Him with all your heart. You've heard the little story of the four-year-old girl hugging a doll in each of her pudgy little arms and looks up wistfully at her mother and she says, Mama, I love them and love them and love them and they never love me back. <laughs> Cute little story. God loves us and loves us and loves us. And how little we love him back. Could I give you a suggestion for today? Would you sit down for 10 minutes sometime and just love on God? Just do it. Say, you know, I'm going to sit here. I'm just going to tell you how, all the reasons why I love you. I find myself more and more, even when I'm walking somewhere, Lord, I love you. You are so good to me. And that just opens your heart up. But he loves you so much. But you'll not fully understand it unless you love him back. And so uh, this is to me very important for us to understand. Our God is love. Let's bow for prayer.